1: What you're about to hear is unsupervised. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 1 of Stanley Cup of Chowder's Unsupervised Podcast. I'm Colin Beswick and I'm joined today by Adam. Adam, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good, Colin. I am uh, psyched that hockey season is upon us once again and I am psyched that the preseason is over.
1: Finally. took so long. Can't wait for it to start. I am also joined by uh,
0: our also our usual guest, Jake Reiser. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It was a really good summer, but frankly, I'm ready to lace up the skates and hit the ice and get ready for a new season.
1: It, it dragged and dragged and dragged, didn't
0: it? Yeah, that was so long. Just every month you go, where's hockey? Where are the Bruins? What's going on in the NHL? So... I'm glad we're now sitting here in October and that the season is about to get underway.
2: Yeah, there's a big pile of post-its on my bedroom floor from the countdown calendar. I've been tearing away. So time to clean that up and get down to work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Lots of uh, news today as we sort of break back into the regular season schedule as well. Um, we're going to cover sort of all sorts of topics. Um, but the big news is that uh, one of the Bruins' best players and Tory Krug, uh, was injured in a more or less meaningless preseason game, um, and we've just found out that he's going to miss some time, uh, approximately three weeks, and he'll be reevaluated. Obviously, a big hit for any team to lose one of their their key defenders, but uh, even more so perhaps with the Bruins who rely on Krug for you know a ton of offensive output.
0: Uh, obviously, going to have a huge impact on the team. I mean, the Tory Krug loss is, is tough. I feel like. People undervalue his defensive skill. He had a career high in offensive um, points last year. It's a big loss for a defensive core that, as much as it has a lot of depth, Torrey Krug is one of its key parts. I know that Chara and McAvoy are the top pair definitively, but to have an anchor like Krug now missing on that second pair is going to hurt, and they're, they have to find a replacement at least for the short term, but
2: it's yeah. a good chance
0: to kind of test out the depth.
2: Well, and it, it worries me just off the bat that, you know, now John Moore, who looks like he got, you know, paid second or third pair of money, is going to be on the second or third pair to start the season having, you know, I think a lot of us, when we saw that deal get done, thought he was going to be a depth, like fifth or sixth, probably out of the rotation
0: as often as he's in it.
2: And it's, you know, yeah, what I what I can't wrap my head around is how, In a preseason game, maybe it's just still too warm out and the ice quality isn't where it should be. But how does, in a preseason game, a regular get his skate in a rut and tweak an ankle like that? Which I I just, I can't think, I can't can't wrap my head around it.
1: Yeah, it sounds like maybe he was hit at the same time that he got a rut. I'm not sure. Like I said, none of us saw the play. We're sort of hearing it secondhand, but... uh... Like I mentioned, it's frustrating You see it in every sport where, you know, players get hurt in preseason and, and games that I don't want to come on too strong and say don't matter, but, you know, at a certain point, it's definitely painful as a fan to watch any player get hurt in a game that's not going to help you, your team in the regular season.
2: Yeah, to see a little bit more from Urho, and if he had played the entire preseason, I think that would have been better for him because um, as other teams build up, you know, we – the Bruins kind of know what they have, especially in somebody like Krug and why risk it, especially for somebody that's coming back from injury. Would you think, would you guys think that it's kind of, would it have been necessary for him to play in the preseason, having suffered an injury at the end of last season? Like, I don't, I don't think so.
1: I I think it depends on the player. I know we saw with Bergeron as he comes back, uh, you know, from having off season surgery and back spasms, you know, he's a player, I think it's pretty upfront about saying he doesn't need the preseason action to ramp up uh, when regular season comes. And I think for most players, that's probably the case, but maybe Krug felt that he needed to get a game in before the season started. It's just, it's obviously unfortunate to watch any player get hurt at any point, but more so in the preseason. Do we know but if I this think... is the same ankle? It is, from what I understand. Okay. Which but is. But I think off- as
0: far as different guys go, I mean, you're talking about Bergeron. Yeah. He's one of the best defensive two way centers in the entire league. So he doesn't need that time because he's got so much experience and so much skill already. Troy Krug on the other hand, I mean, he's a good defenseman, but I can see where he's coming from. That you need a game or two to get back into game speed. So you're less of a hamper when the game starts to count.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I mean, like I said, every player is probably different. I, I would think just on my very limited athletic experience is that, uh, You'd want at least a game, but maybe the practices are enough that they get their timing under their, you know, under their belt or whatever. Um, to Adam's point, though, the John Moore signing I think has probably confused all of us at one point or another. Um, he's obviously going to most likely have an increased responsibility here, at least to start the season. As is expected to miss, you know, between like eight and ten games, based on that initial time frame. Uh, but also, Urho. Urho is the other name that I think all of Bruins nation is sort of amped up to get a chance to see in regular season. Cause I think to a man, we probably all would say, he looked pretty strong in preseason, but you know, it's preseason. So it's hard to say how much you should really judge a young player off of that. I mean, what do you guys think? You think he looked good? You think he looks ready?
2: I think he looked good against the other, the rest of the league's um, prospects. You know, he was definitely, you know, at, at, the same level, if not a little bit ahead of some of the top other prospects around the league. Um, and I, I, like I said, I think seeing him play through the rest of the preseason would have been a little more indicative of where he's at in his development. Cause then you can see him playing against top line forwards or at least on the ice with other elite or, you know, regular NHL, regular defensemen, um, uh, for comparison and, uh, to, to what you said too, Colin, I, I wasn't worried about John Moore getting signed. I, I agree with you, though, that I'm a little concerned with how he's going to fare in increased responsibility to start the season where he otherwise probably wouldn't have thought he would be playing.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll go off on one of probably many tangents on this episode. But one of the things about the Moore signing with fans that sort of gets under my skin a little bit is they see the five-year term and they think like, oh, you know, he's he's going to be a top four or even a have seen top two defenseman for this team. And I mean absolutely no disrespect to John Moore, but, you know, the term is what it is, but look at how much money he's making. He's making McQuaid money. He's not here to be, you know, the savior of this defensive core. He's here to be a depth defenseman, and if he can use his skating uh, to play more of a transition game and chip in offensively, that's great. They'll have a good deal on him. But I think... Uh, Certain segments of the fan base need to sort of pump the tires on what they can expect from John Moore. I mean, this isn't his first team. It's not his first go-around. We're all wishing him the best. But uh, I think if you keep the expectations reasonable, there'll be less of an opportunity to be upset. So that's just my take on it, of course.
0: And it makes me nervous putting him with a guy like Brandon Carlo, who has a hell of a lot to redeem himself for after a season last year. that was marred by injury, but also marred by really inconsistent play. And when he made a mistake, it was very much capitalized on. So, you only hope that Brandon Carlo can have a really good year, or you have to flip and put him with Kevin Miller, who's a lot more stronger of a defensive defenseman. So, you let more shine and making the transition game a little work. So, it just makes me nervous where they're going to put him in the lineup on a night to night basis.
1: I think we're going to be saying that, not just for more, but I think at least for the early parts of this year, we're going to see a lot of juggling around, especially now with Kruger and, and Urho potentially starting. So I don't think we'll see really solid defensive pairs for at least a few weeks, maybe even longer. That's just how I see it.
0: The one guy's name we're also not saying is Matt Grislik, who also has a less less severe injury, but hopefully he should be coming back at some point soon. And if he can prove that he was the same defenseman that he was last year, I'm comfortable with him in that uh, third pairing slot with Kevin Miller.
1: All right. Let me, let me ask this just sort of a, uh, an, an ad lib here, but Assuming all of the defensemen are healthy, you know, including Urho, if you want or Urho in that, if you want, uh, you know, of those eight NHL caliber guys, who who sits for you out of those if everyone's healthy?
2: For me, um, I think it's a trade-off between. Uh, see, they're not the same handedness, are they? But I would say Carlo and more. and like you're saying, that Carlo has ground to make up. Um, I don't see him. You know, coming out and you know blowing the socks off of us this entire season. Maybe he hits his stride, but I do remember him having those you know early to mid-season struggles, and it looked like he had starting to level out before he got hurt. Um, I I would say if 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 all of them were healthy, I would probably sit Grislick and more probably about the same.
0: See, I was gonna sit Vacaninen and Moore and at least let Vacaninen, uh, um, Moore and Grizzly kind of rotate in that third pair left slot and you keep Tori Krug paired with Carlo on that second line. So that third left pairing defenseman just it might be a revolving door, but at least you get at least for the first few weeks, you test the waters, you see how Moore does, how Vacaninen does, how Grizzly does, and you can go from there as to who sits more often.
1: Yeah, I think with Vacanine and it's it's probably a short term thing you know, unless he impresses even more, which would be you know a pretty incredible rise to uh, prominence for someone who wasn't expected to, to be at this point already but for me the I guess if you will, the easy choice to sit uh, outside of uh, the kid in your in your row is John Moore and I say that I know he's a vet, you know, but I think Grizz showed a lot last year, albeit on a fairly small sample size but to me, he's too good. He's too versatile to be sitting on a night-to-night basis. So, to me, it would be, you know, mostly John Moore is the seventh defenseman, and you can rotate Kriz or, and and probably Chara, too. I know, at least in the early goings with Krugau, Chara is going to probably have to, to play a heavy load. But as the season goes on, I'd really like to see him not only get, you know, shorter time on ice, but uh, actually taking games off here and there, especially in back-to-backs. But... I would I mean,
2: the only thing I'd add is i, I I'm voting to keep Grizz uh, and keep Rakadine in, in Providence where he can play a ton of minutes and really you know build up his his resume in pro hockey. Um but Grizzlick is making more than John Moore. Oh no, sorry, I'm doing my math wrong. Um <laughs> he's making two point eight over two years, not each year. Um so he's, but still, you know, that's cap value, and even more so than I would have hoped.
0: So then, who would your seventh defenseman be? Steven Camphor? Oh, hell no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Camphor goes down, Vac goes down, where Vac can play a heck of a lot of minutes, and you let Grizzlick be the seventh defenseman at this point when everyone's said and done. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I was
2: kind of saying if, if it were a perfect world and Krug was back, then. Moore could rotate with Carlo or Grizz, but honestly it's looking like, you know, who's going to fill in? If Krug's out, Moore has to mm-hmm. roll up as a left defenseman who is paired with Miller at this point. Yeah, if we're, so talking, it, we're talking outside of – this is now not a utopia where all of our defensemen are healthy.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: it, on one hand, it's good that they have so many players who can actually play at the NHL level. Defenseman, but it is going to be interesting seeing how Bruce handles, you know, rotating players in and out. Like I said, if I'm the coach, I'm, I'm giving Char as much rest as uh, they can, schedule and, and points wise. But to me, it, it, it's rotating mostly between Grizz and Moore, uh, you know, as the seventh defenseman. You know, if you needed a right hand defenseman, you have Camfer, but I think in a perfect world, he's not seeing much uh, ice time for the NHL team this year.
2: Yeah, Camphor is, is insurance at best, I think. We knew that we were dumping salary with getting rid of McQuaid, and um, I'd be surprised if somebody tried to claim a off waivers if we have to send them down.
0: You know, another place where the Bruins have insurance that has become a really tough decision over the course of the preseason is that third-line center. Um, I think it's Sean Corrales who's officially won that position, but – the competition between him and Trent Frederick and Jacob Forsbacka Carlson throughout that entire preseason—that
1: was really interesting to watch. Yeah, it, I mean that was the storyline, in my opinion, this year. But uh, I'm curious who each of you thought going into this preseason would win it before we get to, you know, who should or whatever.
2: If you asked me, in you know, at the end of the regular season and. Before free agency, I was going to hope that the Bruins were going to sign somebody, and I couldn't tell you who that would have been. But they didn't get anybody that I think could could fill that role, and so I think it's I think it's their best option right now in pulling Corrali up, uh, up a line, because uh, the guys that they signed or the the PTOS that they still have and Winnick and Wagner and Nordstrom and Stepniak, they're all going to be you know limited minutes or specific usage players, and you got to have a third line center that's you know gonna be the effect if they're if they 're still trying to go one a and one b lines, especially if they move wings around a little bit, the third line has to be a solid line it's, it' it can 't be pieces that are rotating in and out based on the situation that they 're in. They did that some last year um, in terms of sitting back us and putting in somebody that had a little more jump uh, and I, for for my money i don 't think that worked I think they need to get away from that so so to have Corrali as somebody who Will obviously bring hundred and ten percent effort because he has you know for the entire previous season uh, i'm I'm feeling confident in that that's their best option i I think they could have done a little bit more to address that in the off season.
0: yeah, if you were going to say right after the final um buzzer of game five of that second round, if you gave me the option to choose any three c we've had or could have thought of it would have been to keep Riley Nash. I think he did such a good job last year and would have provided great stability for the back end of that uh, bottom six. I would have wanted to keep him really badly, but for the money he signed with, good luck to him in Columbus. Uh, after that, I was hoping Jacob back Carlson would have won it. As someone, I have a lot of experience watching him, and I know what his skill set can be, and I really wish that he would have kind of taken more initiative and won that spot outright, but at the preseason, he just played a very pedestrian game. It's not like he did anything poorly. It's just he never wowed. He never excelled anywhere. So uh, I'm glad to see Sean Corrales take it. He's explosive. He's got energy 110%. He will give you everything he has no matter what. So at the very least, you know he'll be trying his hardest regardless of whether the skill set is there. It's a good place for him to start the season.
1: Yeah, I I think that's an important caveat is I think that Corrales has has won the three C competition as much by default as, as by his own performance. And that's not a shot at him. It's more that if you asked me, you know, at the end of last season, who I thought would be perhaps, you know, in the lead to take that three C spot. um, My understanding would be that the organization was pretty high in JFK. Um, You know, we're all local, local people here. We've all watched him throughout his career and, you know, he's had a pretty good uh, NCAA career. That being said, to Jake's point, he really, he didn't do anything to, you know, to impress or, or to take over that spot. I, uh, I also heard some secondhand uh, information about, uh, you know, the organization being high on Jack Stadnika, who I'm really high on, but I still think needs a little bit of seasoning. Unfortunately for him, he, he's back down in juniors, uh, thanks to what I think is a flaw in CBA that won't allow him to play in the AHL this season until the junior season is over so I, I i went into it thinking that it was jfk to lose or maybe they would be able to re-sign nash to a, a somewhat reasonable deal um luckily for nash he signed a you know a long-term deal with columbus and we wish him well he was great last year
2: yeah i wonder if this is something that we've is something that we've all discussed kind of off the air um but whether or not the expectations on jfk were were set too high um now, fans and, and press can say whatever they want about it, but if, if JFK is thinking, all right, well, maybe I can go into camp and you know I'll go in and, and I'll be on the Bruins roster because you know they don't have many options, I wonder if that, as it's pure speculation, so don't take my word on it anywhere, but uh, whether or not that put him in a mental state where he didn't push as hard as he possibly could have.
0: I yeah. mean, the reason I say I know Jacob Forsback across some while well is because I worked with him for two years when I covered Boston University. So knowing the type of guy he is, he puts his head down and he tries to work as hard as he can. He's not the most exciting guy or the most energetic guy, and I think that's something that definitely showed that he was doing the right thing defensively, but there was nothing that ever just electrically jumped out.
2: So do you think his preseason was – was his wheelhouse, do you think that that's going to be the the style of play that they're asking him to play? Because we recall that Riley Nash was you know, a great Bergeron light in being a top defensive center. Um, whether or not Riley Nash will continue to do that, we, we'll have to see. But is is there any offensive upside to look forward to, or do you think he's really going to be that stay-at-home, maybe third- or fourth-line center who shuts things down?
0: No, there is some offensive upside to his game. There were certainly streaks at his time at BU and his time in Providence where he went, oh, wow, he's putting up really good points. He'll sit well on the power play, especially. He was a great bumper throughout his time at BU and within Providence. So um, there's certainly some upside there. It's just – it's tough in the preseason when you're fighting against so many other guys. And as much as hockey players are competitive, he's just not outwardly demonstrative like that. So I think that's something that hurt him, but – his ceiling is there. His ceiling is higher than what he demonstrated.
1: So I want to I touch on real quick on the ceiling thing too, because it's something, like you mentioned, we've talked about off air. Um, and, and a couple of points I wanted to make here is the first, I think with JFK, unfairly to him, ever since he was compared to Bergeron early in his college career, I think fans and maybe to a lesser extent media have sort of just kind of like put him on that pinnacle where they're comparing him to someone who is I mean, a, one of the best NHL players ever. And it's great to aspire to be Bergeron. Every center should aspire to, to mimic some portions of Bergeron's game. But, I mean, we're talking about a kid here. It's just not a fair comparison. And I and I think that in a weird way, that's hurt how fans view him as a player instead of appreciating what he does bring to the table and on his own time frame. I think we're all sort of expecting him to be something he's not yet. You know, and may never be, but... Um, there's no shame in not being, you know, Patrice Bergeron. There's only one of them. Yeah, I was gonna say, kind of hard to to compare to Patrice when he makes the camp as an 18,
2: or makes the team out of camp as an 18 year old and works his way up the lineup. And you know, JFK is, has been in the system for a little bit, but he's still only 21.
1: Yeah, and that's that gets lost in the shuffle. We're all guilty of it. Fans are certainly guilty of it. To remember that, uh, you know, if a player doesn't make the team out of camp it's not the end of the world. You know, they have a lot of runway 21 years old is not that old. I mean, we think Sean Crowley is a, uh, you know, a new player, but he's 25, 26, you know, so, you know, there's plenty of time for, for players like JFK and, and Frederick and Studnika. And I wanted to touch on this real quick. And it's something I'll retweet from the, uh, the unsupervised Twitter page, but I mentioned how media and fan um, narratives seem to drive people's perceptions of players uh, JFK, like I mentioned, has been compared to Bergeron. He's, he's generally, from what I've read and what I've seen, expected to be a top six center, you know, or excuse me, a top two center, uh, potentially, you know, taking over moves on. Whereas with Frederick, all the, the noise we heard when he was drafted is, you know, what a reach it was. It was sort of, you know, Zach's all over again. And the, the team themselves came out and said, we see him as, you know, a ceiling of a third line center. It's just interesting to me that that's carried over over the last couple of seasons of coverage that despite both playing pretty well and, and having their strengths, I think we tend to view players through that uh, sort of confined bubble, if you will. And I was I was messing around with some numbers earlier and like I said, I'll tweet them out and I find it interesting because, you know, the narrative in this case, I don't think fits the reality. So I'm I'm curious to see what fans uh, think about that. I teased it a little bit on Twitter. We'll see what you guys have to think. But uh, just keep in mind, uh, you know, scouting reports aren't everything, and and players can certainly uh, progress at a different speed than we're expected. And you know, just because a, a scout says one thing or stats say one thing, you know, there's no real right answer. So, give the players yeah. time; we'll see what uh, what they turn into.
2: So now that we've kind of covered the people that we think could have but didn't make the team coming out of camp, how do you guys feel about the folks that are, I guess? still vying for a spot. We're, we're still not sure how the opening night roster is going to shake out, but any of those PTOs exciting you or any um, anybody else in Providence that might have been there already? I'm wondering that Anders Bjork got sent down, which is a little surprising to me, but I was never very high on him anyway.
1: Uh, I think I think Bjork will, will be on the opening night roster, but um, I, it's no secret to anyone who's ever talk hockey with me, but I'm a big solaric guy. Uh, I've been pumping his tires for over a year at this point. Um, so I was not surprised by any stretch of the imagination, but a little bit disappointed to see that uh, he was sent down to Providence. It feels to me sort of like uh, what we went through with Austin Zarnik last year where, you know, he performed as best as one could expect at the NHL level and limited opportunity, but the opportunity just wasn't there. And we saw Zarnik sign a multi-year contract with Calgary in the offseason, my hot take is I think Zarnik's going to drop 30 to 40 points this season. I think he's a legit NHL player. And it feels like we're headed down that road with Solarik too, where he's done everything he possibly could at the AHL level. Uh, he just hasn't really had an opportunity and for a team that has so many young forwards to make his mark.
0: Yeah. Um, I think Solarik certainly had a fighting chance to make this uh, NHL roster. It's tough because we've seen him come up so often and so often as he performed really well. Put up big points, put up big goals, and you just go, yeah, that's the guy you want to have on your team. And yet somehow it's still not enough. It's tough. Um,
1: it's, it, it's a good problem to have. Don't get me wrong. If you're a fan of the Bruins, the fact that you have a Bjork, a Donato, a Heinen, a DeBrusque, and a Solarik, hey, we'll we'll all take that. That's great. But I'm mean, where I'm coming from it at is, you know, I feel for the player, not so much the, the team. You know, because he, like I said, he, he's busting his, uh, his behind, if you will, to make the team. And to my eyes, he was one of the best players in preseason. And again, it's preseason. It's not the end of the world. But, you know, there'll inevitably be injuries this year to some of the forward core. And my guess would be he's one of the first uh, one or two players that gets called up.
0: You'd hope. Otherwise, something's wrong with management if um, Solaric is one of the guys who gets called up. I think Jacob Lauko is also someone we should be talking about as much as he's now down in the queue. Um, I think his play surprised a lot of people, and I think people um, just didn't have exposure to what Lauko was, and he really excelled. at Even if it's preseason against other prospects, he really took that stage by storm.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. In The, the only game I saw uh, at the Garden from press level, he was most certainly the... I thought he was the fastest player on the ice. I mean, on either team, he was accelerating like crazy. He was just flying around the ice. I didn't see him really, um, move the puck a lot. I like it. wasn't on his stick a lot, but it, I don't, I don't get the sense that that his style of play is that he's, he's not going to be a puck carrying, you know, type of, of, of player, but he can drive the net quickly and, and put pressure on, on the four check. So, um, I, I am curious as to why he went to the queue. Maybe they just have too many people in Providence, or do you think that has to do with the uh, with the?
0: It might be age. I think he, well, he's, on, yeah. he's only 18, so I think it might more be, again, one of those really just weird rules about age restrictions in the AHL. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that went into that as well.
1: We were digging into it a little bit off air, uh, you know, at Stanley Cup of Chowder. But, I mean, he's coming over from Europe, too, and it may just be that they want to get his feet wet in North American hockey at, at a, a level that's probably more realistic for someone his age, you know, in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League versus the AHL. You guys weren't kidding, though. I mean, that kid's got jets. He he can skate. Uh, you know, it seems to me it, you know, it may take a little while to put together, you know, the raw skill that he has with, with players that are that fast. Oftentimes it takes a little while for the hands to catch up to the feet, if you will. But he's, he may have been the fastest player on the ice, and he definitely he stood out here and there at times because of that. But, uh, yeah, he, he raised the stock. There's no doubt about that.
0: Um, the one other thing we, uh, I should talk about as far as the lineup goes, aside from the PTOs, which I think neither of the PTOs are going to get signed, as much as um, Stepniak looked better than Winnick, it's not a great comparison to have uh, compared <laughs> to the rest of the team i think neither of them necessarily under spot on this roster is the goaltending situation um it's tough that anton kudoven left we now have yaro Halak. it's a much different conversation than years past where the backup goaltender has been a point of weakness has been a point of oh god what are, what are we doing with this guy behind tuka Yarrow, as much as he's older, he's an established NHL goaltender. He has a history of success, not necessarily recently, but he has somewhat of a history of success. And I think at least if you go back to when we had Chad Johnson's really good year, it's one of the best backup goaltending situations we've had.
2: Yeah. I, I like Halak as a goalie. Um, and I think he's gotten a, a raw deal in New York with the Islanders, um, but I still, you know, I think if any, if there's going to be a change in how the goalies are utilized this year, it's going to be that Halak gets, you know, 10 more starts than, than Dobby used to, and and that's about it. I, I think, I don't know that he, I don't think that he will challenge Tuka for, you know, the number one spot. I think we're going to try and, I think the Bruins are trying to get back to a point of 1A, 1B, this is going to be, I think, a clearer line between A and B.
0: Oh, of course. I don't think that um, Halak has any point in challenging Tuka for the starting role, but even just what you think the highest hopes are going to be, that he takes away 10 less, or ten more games from RASP than Bobby did last year. That's 10 more games, which is a huge difference when it comes to the amount of regular season games he'll play. And you hope that this Bruins team can contend for a playoff spot, and that makes Tuka that much more well-rested going into that.
1: Yeah, I I've obviously had a lot to say about goaltending over the off season. Uh I guess unintentionally, but definitely stirring up uh lots of conversation with, you know, the Rask versus Reward article and, and sort of taking a deep dive into, you know, what the quote unquote fancy stats say about Rask. Um, the interesting thing about that is what they also say about Halak and if I ever get around to it I'll write an article about it. But uh the thing with Halak to Adam's point is not just in, in New York, but he's sort of his whole career is sort of the same story and that he's played behind some of the worst defenses in the league. And, you know, there are models that try and estimate the impact that defense has in front of a goaltender and more or less, they do a pretty good job. None of them are perfect and probably never will be. But if you look at those models, I mean, he's a lot better than I think most people realize. And I've, I've written that and I've, I've shown graphs that, that show that and I've gotten chirped here and there by uh by followers and other media people as well saying that that means that Halak's going to come in and steal Rask's job or or anything like that and to be clear I'm not saying that uh, you know Rask is the starter he probably will still be the starter at the end of the year what I am saying is that people are sleeping on how good of a goalie Halak has been he's older a couple of years older than Rask is you know we don't know how the aging curve is going to hit him with goalies too. There's a pretty precipitous drop off at a certain point, uh, usually around your mid 30s. But if these fancy stats are to be believed, you know he should thrive behind what is uh, more or less a top five defense in Boston. So whether that means he gets you know five or ten more starts than Doby, we'll see. But I think people are are sort of burnt out on the oh, the new backup's going to take. Rask's job. We've all seen the hot hot takes and the the clickbait from, you know, certain segments of the media and, and from fans over the years. And I think we're all sick of it. We I get that. But I think the difference is that, you know, the Chad Johnsons and even the, the Anton Hudobin, God bless him, of the world, they're not on the same level that Halak is. Halak was not only a starting goalie for a long time, but a, a good starting goalie. So he's not going to come in and, and, and be Rask, but he may very well be a sort of 1B option if Rask struggles like he did, especially early in the season. So long-winded way of saying, no, Rask did not lose his starting job. No, he probably will not lose his starting job. But we have to be realistic about what Rask has been over the last two or three seasons, and it's been average. It is what it is. You know, he could have a bounce-back season. He could win the Vezina. Who knows? But I think we should uh, be excited for what both of them bring to the table.
0: We should have one of the,
1: the best goaltending pairs in the league.
0: I think we would all welcome a bounce back from uh, Tuka Rask. Just from what we saw in 2013 when he did win uh, the Vezina, he was incredible. It was a guy you could go out every night and just go, whoa, he's going to make a- as many saves as he can and give your team the best shot to win. You're right, it's a- it's average. I I'm certainly not as well versed in analytics as I wish I was, but... Even just from the eye test, it's not every save is as easy as it was before. So you hope that he can bounce back and be a lot better.
2: Yeah, and, and to to not put it as, you know, as boilerplate as I can, but I think Halak is going to be able to push Tuka a little bit, knowing not necessarily, again, that he'll push and try. and. Um, I think Halak will make an attempt to push Tuka out. I don't think he'll succeed, but I think that they can build Uh, friendly chemistry and some you know a little bit more of a competitive nature where there was a much larger gap between Rask and his backups over the last four plus years
1: yeah I mean uh, to look at it sort of from an analytical standpoint the Bruins are paying the most of any team in the league for their goaltending pair so I mean I don't want to pull punches but at the end of the day they they should perform you know if you're paying 10 million dollars for your your two goaltenders they better be one of the the top two or three or four or five goaltending tandems in the league and like i said statistically the bruins defense uh is pretty good bordering on elite i know that sort of drives people nuts when they hear that because they think like oh we have adam McQuaid or kevin miller how can our team be you know top five people need to realize that the structure and the coaching of the defense as well as what the you know what forward support is available, plays, you know, a pretty huge impact on overall team defense as well. It's not just about who the six defensemen on the ice are. It's, you know, you have the Bergeron uh, there, you have, you know, you had Riley Nash. So, you know, things like that, people need to take the whole picture into account. Um, But I got to be honest, if I'm picking storylines for this year, um, watching how Halak and Rask play is my number one story to start the season. I'm intrigued. I'm excited by it. I don't know what will happen. I know the numbers indicate will happen, but I'm so pumped to see how it goes.
0: See, my number one storyline for this whole season is, can the Bruins repeat? They were great last year. They're one of the best teams in the league ostensibly, and with such a young squad, you can only hope that they match that production, but the question is, can they? They certainly got lucky with how incredible Riley Nash was, and how he could replace Bergeron in game situations when Bergeron wasn't there. How Dobby rebounded from having a really bad year two years ago to being a very good backup goaltender last year. A lot of things fell in place the right way for them and you can only hope that either the same things fall in place for them this year or they work through adversity and show how hardworking they can be and get back to either that same point or better.
2: Uh, I think my number one storyline for the year is the Flyers' new mascot, Gritty. (laughs) And we can come back to Gritty. I say that in jest because I'm I'm not a Flyers fan, clearly. Uh, But I I would think that it might not be at the NHL level, but I want to really look a little, as a personal goal of mine, is look a little bit more closely at what the Providence players are doing. Um, Because, you know, we talked about JFK at length, so I won't rehash it all, but I'd like to see, you know, how he bounces back from not making the team. Um, and to your description of his character, Jake, I, I hope that he, you know, puts his head down and, you know, gets some work done and, and proves why he got drafted by the Bruins in the first place. Um, and, you know, we talked about Salar coming up potentially, um, but just overall, I think there's a lot more to be seen in the depth of the Bruins organization that, needs to start making those pushes because, you know, we get through this whole season again and, you know, we haven't seen much more of JFK or, or a few of those other players that concerns me for the future. And so that's, that's what I'm going to be paying attention to.
0: You're going to pay attention to how well these guys can dress up and look like Jakob Voracek and Claude Drew and shoot uh, t-shirt cannons at each other. I think that's a great (laughs) sign. (laughs)
1: all right i got i gotta ask you guys yes or no on gritty you like them hate them somewhere in between i'm all for it and i
0: i wish that the bruins had a mascot at least in between what gritty is and what blades is now they have a mascot in their own city wally the green monster is a phenomenal example of what a boston mascot should be and i wish that blades had a little bit more of a presence but i'm pro gritty
2: I, yeah, I, I'll I'll paraphrase one of my uh, my college roommates is from Philadelphia and uh, or one of my former college roommates. I'm way too old for college, um, <laughs> but he's uh, from Philadelphia and is you know all for all the Philadelphia sports. And um, he said the Flyers really probably could use something to laugh about. So I, I think Gritty's going to get some of that done for them, um, and hopefully they don't spend too much time laughing at the on ice product.
1: Yeah, I'm all for him. People hated him, it seemed like, uh, you know, for the first hour or two when he was released. I I was on board right away. I love him. I think it's one of those unique situations where the the branding of uh, something as silly as a mascot just hit the perfect note with the city, with the fan base. And, you know, the way they've handled it. it's been pretty excellent, in my opinion. You know, we have the memes and the T-shirt cannon slipping incident and all of it. It's just I can't get enough. I love it. I'm all about it. Uh, it's nice to see. The NHL getting some positive spin in places you wouldn't normally see. I mean, it was on Good Morning America. It was all over the place. So love it. Keep keep bringing it. Um, interesting to hear. That you I want to are... see
2: him. I want to see him start showing up in other barns. Like, I, I think it'd be hilarious. Although a little dangerous, maybe for the people that are wearing those costumes <laughs> to show up in other barns. But if if mascots started travel traveling mascot. with a team, I I think that'd be. I think
1: that could go pretty well. We're gonna have a maybe
0: a show people would travel to see.
1: Blades, <laughs> Blades versus Gritty Throwdown. Well, like you know, imagine if they
2: had. I, I don't think they would. This is going way too far now. But if they were, you know, how they do the the mini games during intermissions, if they had each mascot running a team for that and playing on it, but really just going at each other the whole time. I, I don't know.
1: You might want to keep your head up around gritty. He might pull a gouda on you if you're skating out there. <laughs> All right, that's enough. That's enough, gritty. We'll leave it to the Philly folks to enjoy their monstrosity of a of a mascot. Um, I did want to touch on just a couple uh, ups and downs, if you will. Um, what we expect for the season, we'll call it reasons to be optimistic and reasons to be pessimistic. Maybe just give one or two of each if if you guys have uh, something in mind.
0: Uh, for me, reasons to be optimistic, David Pasternak Oh, good choice. <laughs> looked like he added quite a few moves in his preseason repertoire. And if he can demonstrate those in the regular season, this league has better watch out. It will have one of the top scores in the league and pasta there.
1: Yeah, hard hard to go wrong with the legend, pasta. <laughs> uh, for me,
2: uh, I'm Uh, This is a thought that I had earlier today, and it was less of a thought and more of a a nightmare. Um, But wondering, Bjork looked good in the preseason game that he had over the weekend. Um, uh, You know, the result didn't show, but that's not Bjork's fault. Uh, But I wonder if he's going to stick on the top line, and really, the only (laughs) the only option I came up with and admittedly very short amount of thinking time on it was uh right first line right wing david backus now hear me out only so that he can be sheltered by the possession machine of 63 plus
1: 37 yeah i'm not sure how to uh i didn't put you in
2: shock did i
0: I'm I am i I'm, I'm terrified. You, I mean he as the only position you'd he'd be in where you go, oh my god, he's actually being paid the amount of money for the position he's in. But I mean, holy heck, that sounds really scary. Yeah. Hey, hey I, I'm all
1: I'm all for it for uh, at least for one reason. Um some of you may have seen or may not have seen. Um a Twitter user tweeted at Bacchus saying that if Bacchus scored twenty-five goals he'd adopt um what I believe was his tenth rescue dog. Uh, as many of you know, Bacchus is very much involved with his wife in uh, animal charities and has done a lot in that community to uh, to help out. And uh, we uh, we wrote an article about it. Our own Sean Ferris uh, wrote an article about it and, and interacted with them, too. So one of the upsides to Bacchus having a real strong year is that uh, perhaps if he scores 25 or more goals, which we'll take, we'll also help out some uh, some pups, you know, as well. So just a win-win there um as for where he slots in the lineup it's interesting when a guy makes that kind of money to not know where he's going to be in the lineup or where he should be in the lineup i should say sounds like he's going to be the third line right wing but he could play with Burg and and Marshand. he could I mean, he could play anywhere he, he could play center he looks like he's lost about 100 pounds uh, since last year, obviously, he had the health issues going on, but he's lost even more weight uh, coming into camp this year. We'll see if that translates into some more speed or if we sort of know what he is at this point. But uh, Do you think
2: yeah. they're going to pull uh, Pasta off the top line and put him back with Krejci?
1: I don't. I think Bruce has, uh, in, in his typical Bruce fashion, has been pretty up upfront about uh, not wanting to break up that uh, super line of Pasta- Marshy and uh, Bergeron, but if if you're putting the coaching hat on me, I think they should, you know, at least for portions of the game. If if you need to double shift Pasta up with Bergeron or, or Marshy, then by all means go for it. He's got young legs. I just think when you look back at the playoffs last year, particularly in the second round, they really need a depth depth scoring. We we sort of beaten this horse to death already, but uh, you know, having one arguably the best line in hockey is great, but having two top lines that can score is probably better. You know, there's a lot of diminishing returns, and I'd really like to see them at least try pasta with Critchy and DeBrusque and see if they can get that line going. I just don't know if they're going to commit to it early in the year unless something forces their hand.
0: I mean, you hope as far as David Backus goes, I thought he looked like a skeleton coming into the season, which I'm not saying it was a bad thing. The fact that it visibly looks like he lost that much weight Even if it doesn't translate to speed, you hope it can translate to endurance where he can eat more minutes a night. That he's not lugging around all this unnecessary weight with whatever poop was carrying (laughs) him down. So, (laughs) I don't want to make a poop joke here, but, I mean, you just just hope that by losing so much weight and now hopefully being a lot healthier than last year, he can really show some endurance and become a bigger part of this lineup. Well,
2: that probably has a lot to do, too, with the change in his diet. I think, what did he cut out? Meat? I think he's a vegetarian now. Um, so to just change your change what his regular diet was so drastically, especially and it you know medically necessary, I don't critique him at all for doing it. But um, it definitely changed the composition of of his body mass. Yeah. So I, hopefully I... he got faster. That's really all I'm I'm open for is if, if he can if he can put his feet to to motion with Coralli at his center and. And Heinen, who's a little more of a, you know, thoughtful player than a than a speed player, then I think that would be super helpful for that line for sure.
1: Yeah, I look at it like, you know, I think we know what Bacchus is at this point in his career. If if him losing the weights and changing his diet helps him either in terms of speed or you know keeping his legs longer throughout the season, that's that's a bonus. But I think at this point we sort of know he's he's probably gonna be glued to that third line. So if he if there's any added benefit from it, great. If not, then, you know, it is what it is. Um, didn't want to go too off track here. I did want to finish up on the, the reasons to be optimistic and pessimistic. I already mentioned my reason to be optimistic, and which might shock my Twitter followers, but the goaltending, I think, is a reason to be optimistic. Uh, like I said, you know, even if Rast doesn't have a, a you know, quote-unquote bounce-back year between him and Halak, they have a really strong goaltending tandem, and I'm excited to watch it. Uh, but I'll, I'll break into the... The uh, maybe reasons to be pessimistic a little bit. Not that there's a ton, you know, maybe a little nitpicky, but I'm a little bit worried about the Bruins uh, bottom six depth. And I haven't really been shy about letting that be known. I, you know, I'm obviously a, an unabashed Riley Nash fan, but losing him and, and not really replacing him with, you know, someone his equal is going to hurt. And then, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the Wagner and Nordstrom signings. And I know. Maybe both won't be playing at the same time, but I just—it seems to me their bottom six is a bit of a downgrade from last year. Then again, you know the game isn't played on paper, so we'll see. But for me, that would be the one thing that I sort of have my eye on as a, a weakness, perhaps this year. Yeah, I was—I
2: was kind of framing my thought around the bottom six too, though. I, I'm a little—I'm a little concerned about the defense. I, I originally had it as like my, my reason for optimism is that the defense essentially is unchanged. We swapped a older Adam McQuaid for a younger version of Adam McQuaid, maybe though a, a moderately different skill set. And, and that thinking about that is what made it my cause for pessimism is, you know, if they think that they got an, an upgrade for the same price, are they going to feel pressure to use more in, in, <laughs> to give him more ice time, pun not intended. Um, so that's that's my reason for pessimism. I'm, I'm just a little concerned about the defense and how how solid Bruce puts down the lineup if, if he's going to just kind of stick with the six and, and rotate somebody in for rest.
0: My biggest worry is that second-line winger opposite DeBras with Krejci, it's been a point of concern the whole preseason and i don't know if they haven't necessarily found the right fit yet but it's a point of concern that if you don't have someone to replace that rick nash didn't do a great job but just the fact to have an established name in there someone who can produce at that level you only hope that andrews bjork or danton heinen can take initiative and really be that second line right winger it remains to be seen for me who can actually fit that role well and produce the way that we need them to in order to let depth scoring uh, excel more in order to take some pressure off the top line. I'm really having a hard time putting my finger on who it's going to be. Yeah,
1: that's that's a good one. Like I said, I think we're going to see a lot of tinkering around at least uh, you know in the early stages of the year, and that's not unexpected, but it, it is interesting. I don't think that any one of the young players really – Stood out enough to say, like, yep, that's exactly who should play on Krejci's wing, or or not. So, I mean, that'll be something to watch here. We have options with Bjork and and Donato and Solarek, and it goes on and on and on and on. But maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll wrap up here just by saying what you guys expect the the lineup to look like. Um, I mentioned I I'd like to see Pasta on the second line, but I think we'll see the the top line stay as is from last year. What do you guys think uh, for opening night? What we're looking at as the second and second line.
2: I think they'll open with the lineups that most people would expect where you have Marshy, Bergy, pasta Debrus, brush York, maybe, um, uh, and then I mean, we talked about the third line of Heinen, Corelli, and and Bacchus. I'm wondering who is going to slot in for the fourth. If it's like, I feel like Nordstrom was the shoe in when he got when he got uh, signed. Is like, okay, this is our fourth line center, so other people can compete for the third line job. Um, and then Achari, and I, I, it's hard to say for the fourth line honestly because we had so many other. Uh, prospects playing in the preseason that nobody really stood out as like the energy for that line. Yeah, fourth.
0: I don't disagree that Bergie, Marshy, Pasta are going to stay as is. Um, DeBrusque, Creache, Donato. I think Donato's going to have a lot of versatility. I think he has the highest ceiling of any three of the prospects we've been talking about. And I think that starting him on that Creache line shows a lot of trust in him. Uh, and again, Um, Adam, you were right. Heinen, Corrali, back. This is a great third line. Bjork, I see staying on the fourth line as someone who only got a preseason game in um, as someone who um, just needs some seasoning. So putting him on the fourth line to start is going to be a good idea. And then you put him with Achari as your fourth line center. And maybe Chris Wagner, who didn't do as bad a job as I thought in the preseason, ends up as your fourth line right winger.
1: Yeah, I have a a couple things I want to touch on, too, now that I think about it. and From a lot of the practice lines we've seen, Heinen seems to be the default second-line right wing with DeBrusque and Preachie right now. I'm a big Heinen guy. I think he has uh, an all-around game that's a little bit ahead of where you'd expect someone his age. I think he's a little bit Louis Erickson-like in that regard, where he doesn't wow you in any one way, but he's solid across the board. Um, That being said, I'd have some concerns about taking Heinen away from... Um, you know, Bacchus and Corrali on that third line. I think that Heinen probably didn't get enough credit for the success that we saw on that third line last year with Nash and Bacchus, you know, obviously he had 40 or so points and, you know, he deserves credit for that, but I think he's as much uh, the the straw that stirs a drink as any of them are. And would would it help the second line to have him on there? Absolutely. But I worry about what happens to that third line. If you have the Donato Corrali Bacchus line, um, that's sort of a line that feels so, sort of thrown together to me personally. None of them, you know, Corrali and Bacchus aren't really puck distributors, which I think is what Donato needs. He's not great playing with the puck. He has a great shot, but he's sort of a kind of guy where he gets to his spot and you get him the puck and good things happen. Um, and then with the fourth line, fourth line's just, I don't know, it's weird to me because you have right now three guys who are all natural centers in Achari, Nordstrom, Wagner. And to me, that that's a lot of sort of the same skill set uh, on one line. You know, if they want to go back to that sort of grind and defense-only line, then then I guess we'll see how it goes. But uh, personally, I liked having a bit more of the skill on the fourth line last year. So maybe maybe Bjork does start out there. Um, right now, it looks like he's sort of in that 13th forward role, but... It's tough with him and others because he only got one game of preseason and he did look very good, but it's one game. You know, we saw that bring up the name that shouldn't be named, but Tommy Wingles in his first game had three points or whatever as a Bruin and then did practically nothing the rest of the time this year. You see that a lot. You know, players can flash for one game. It's more about what they can do consistently, so I'm not ready to uh, to say Bjork is quote-unquote back yet. But uh, lineups are going to be interesting, Absolutely you know, start the season and obviously we'll see him get tinkered with throughout the year. Um, I think I can speak for all of us and say we're all really excited for the regular season to be back. We've been waiting long enough. We're excited to get back to a regular recording schedule. And I did want to mention uh, best of luck to Adam McQuaid, certainly one of my favorite people to interact with uh, when we're covering games. Uh, you know, you hear it all the time, but definitely a class act. And uh, I wish him all the best in New York.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it was a tough thing to see him go. I'm now based here in New York, so I get to see him a little more prevalently. But as a nine-year vet of the Bruins, always one of the nicest guys to talk to in a locker room. Tremendous character off the ice. Even if you complain about what his product was on the ice, you could never complain about his character. So best of luck to him as well. Yep, absolutely.
1: Uh, that'll wrap it up for this week's episode. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me.
0: Absolutely, get, glad to get this started. Obese,
1: all right, and listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to follow us at SB Unsupervised on Twitter. You can listen to this on Anchor.com/Unsupervised. We are live on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, practically everywhere you can listen to podcasts. We are live. As always, we love feedback. Feel free to, to send it to us on Twitter. Um, you know, leave reviews, comments, whatever it may be. And uh, looking forward to another season. Thanks, guys.